Watch out. Yeah, talking about way out there. Beheim! Wow, does that silence it a little bit. DeVito backs up, throws deep, has Harris right side, and the catch at the five, and he tumbles into the end zone. That's a touchdown from 46, and the Orange are rolling. The Bills make me wanna shout. Allen looks to his left, fires left side. It goes to the end zone. Stephon Diggs makes the catch. Touchdown, Buffalo. Swing into this. It is over. The Boston Red Sox, baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. This is On the Block. Yeah, I was driving home yesterday, so I heard some of your show. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Two, one. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio 97.7ESPNRadio.com.ESPNRadio.com.ESPNRadio.com.ESPNRadio.com.ESPNRadio.com.ESPNRadio.com.ESPNRadio.com.ESPNRadio.com.ESPNRadio.com.ESPNRadio
the game schedules moved up. They're playing Friday night. We usually chat two days before the game. And in the case of this week, because Friday night's a great night for football, that's today. So we're looking forward to chatting with a Syracuse quarterback who appears to have won the job as the starter, preparing to face Liberty. You know, it's funny when you say it's Tommy DeVito versus Malik Willis, because that's not entirely accurate, right? He's facing a defense. But I want to know what kind of pressure he feels knowing there's a big-time quarterback prospect coming in on the other side. Do you feel like you got to keep pace? What's the temptation there? How does it make you a better quarterback when there's a great quarterback like that on the other side of the field? I never asked him this, and it came up because it's about to come up again with the 44 discussion. Like, why does he wear the number 13? Is there a special story behind that? And I really hope it's not Dan Marino, but it could be. A lot of things to discuss with Tommy DeVito. And we will do that right here in this hour, about 4.30. At 5 o'clock, David Hale will join us, terrific ESPN college football writer, and he will try to make sense of the ACC. Because trying to make sense of ACC football this year is not an easy task. But if somebody can kind of whoop, streamline it and make sense of this giant mess of college football it's been so far, it will be David Hale. And that will be, I Syracuse has got to take care of its own business here, but what kind of opportunities await them? I mean, they got Florida State first up in the ACC. They're 0-3. And there are teams in the ACC that look like Syracuse maybe couldn't run with but now could just flat out beat. How will the instability in the ACC benefit Syracuse, if at all? A question we have for the great David Hale, who will join us immediately following that. We're going to check in with our friend Chris Trapasso, who does a terrific job covering the NFL draft and all things NFL for CBS Sports with Malik Willis coming in. We'll certainly get the draft breakdown of what kind of pro prospect he is, how Syracuse would be best suited to play defense against a player of this caliber. The Syracuse players that are on the path to the draft, particularly like a Garrett Williams, but there are other Syracuse players that pop in the eyes of Chris Trapasso as they've kind of started a new feeder system into the National Football League, particularly out of the secondary, right? But We'll get Chris's thoughts on all that and the Bills and some NFL. So three great guests joining us, the blind side as usual, and the hijinks and Tom Fuller you would expect. And don't forget at QSportsTalk.com when the radio audience goes to commercial breaks, you do not keep the conversation flowing during commercials. So we'll see what comes up there. Okay. Now, if you listened to the show yesterday, we touched on this a bit. If you read my column today on Syracuse.com, which I got some terrific feedback on, encouraging feedback. Never quite sure when you do these things. And see, (laughs) I I get a kick out of when I'm the guy that wants to innovate. When I'm the guy that says you've got to take it a step forward into the future. When you have to, in essence, start a new tradition. I was just saying a few minutes ago, right, joking around, and I wasn't joking about TikTok. Like Some of these things like I've been slow to embrace. I like being a 43-year-old man in some ways that is not quick to change. But listen. You got to change with the world. You got to go with the flow. There's certain things I can still be stubborn on and will be stubborn on, but there's other things that if you don't change and flow with the river, it'll drown you, right? And I feel like that's where we're at, and that's why I felt like I did about this 44 thing because what had bothered me all along about the 44 discussion, and let me get this out of the way right off the top before I get the tweets. This is not a Sean Tucker thing. Sean Tucker is what sparked the discussion. He passes the look test. It feels like he could be somebody that is capable of wearing the 44 
He has embraced wearing the 44. He posted that thing on Instagram, the mock-up that Q Scumby did of him in it, and that's half the battle because go back to whenever you want to go back to. 2005 is when they retired it, and in 2005, I could not have been happier that it was happening. Because it just felt like it had run its course. It was over. It was done. Players wanted to embrace their own image, which they had every right to do, including some recent players that could have easily won the 44 at that time, like Walter Reyes, like Damian Rhodes. Could have given them the 44 without a second thought, right? People get very protective of this, and I understand that because this is legacy, it's history, and it's what Syracuse football is known for. But I'm sorry for all of the Jim Brown Floyd Little, Ernie Davis, Lore, there's a lot of players that wore the 44 that did nothing to advance the fairy tale. I'm getting yelled at from people left and right saying, how can you give it to somebody other than a running back? Well, you know, other players have worn the 44. Not recently. The last player to not wear the 44 who, or to wear the 44 who was not a running back was in the late 1960s. He was a quarterback. But 25 men have worn the 44. 15 of them were running backs or fullbacks. The last guy that wore the 44 wasn't even a running back. He was a fullback in Rob Conrad. So before you clutch your pearls and tell me, it has to be a running back, well, know your history. There have been players that wore the 44 that didn't play the position. Now, it eventually became the tradition, handed down, but there's a lot of duds on that list, too, which is why in 2005, when they retired it, I completely agreed with that because the sense of this being a recruiting tool was over. You, son, will be the next to wear the 44 and carry on. The, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. But like a lot of things, trends tend to come back. Vinyl's cool again, right? Cobra Kai's a great throwback show. They're making Star Wars content left and right again. Some of it's good, right? Throwbacks are cool. Retro is cool. It's like a 15 to 20 year thing when stuff starts coming back. I'm seeing kids wearing stuff now that I wore in the 90s, and I'm like, I should have saved all this stuff. They could have sold it to you on TikTok for loads of cash. Can you do that? On, on Is that something you can do on TikTok? No? Wherever you can do it. There you go, kid. Here's a pair of Zubaz pants. 500 bucks. He probably would pay for it. Anyway. Sometimes you got to start a new tradition, but when you do, there has to be a base of something there that an older generation can embrace. So that's why I had the idea. I shouldn't say I had the idea. I mean, not my idea, but embrace the idea that others have come up with. Floyd Little had come up with this. Kevin Wall wrote a great piece about this at Noon's Magician. Stephen North Syracuse, terrific caller to this radio station, has said time and again, somebody should earn the 44. But what Floyd and Steve had in common in that sense was a running back. The idea that Kevin planted out there, and others have too, but his column really got my wheels turning on this. Why does it have to be a running back? Why would you limit yourself to it? All of the romance of the tradition and all those words people love to talk about when they're talking about things in the past, when things were better in my day, that applies to the running back. Why can't it apply to other positions? 
You're telling me Zaire Franklin, three-time captain, one of a few three-time captains in the history of Syracuse football, who was an example on and off the field, a leader in that locker room, checked every box, academics, leadership, you name it, couldn't have wore the 44? Let me answer that for you. Of course he could, because he wears it now in the National Football League. I don't want to start making lists of players here, but you get the point. Because I think this is what you got to do in college sports now. There are great traditions in college sports. That's what people embrace. That's what a, a Syracuse fan from the 1960s can connect with a Syracuse fan in the 2020s. There's a base to it. There's a rhythm to it. There is a tradition on Saturdays about what you do and how you do it. But in case you haven't noticed, there's not a ton of those here at Syracuse. What do you have? The Mighty 44. Well, no one's worn that thing since 1998. It's a bedtime story. It's a relic. It's a statue. It's a thing in the rafters. It's a great story, and I'm all about telling your story, but there are other colleges out there that have traditions that exist today, and they live and breathe. That one collects dust. And I think a a new student, the modern student, the modern student-athlete, Want something that they can embrace, not only on their own, but can't connect to the past. So before you say it's just a crazy idea to let someone else wear it, think about why you're saying that. The way the 44 was presented died in 2005 when they retired it. If you're going to bring something back, Why not put a modern spin on it? Look at the Carrier Dome. For so long, since that building went up in the early 1980s, it had a a classic look to it, but they modernized it. The building looks different. It still has the old feel, but with the modern amenities that you need. So why can't you do that with a 44? Why can't you create new traditions? This This is why you join the ACC. This is why you schedule certain teams, because Syracuse just doesn't have... Some of the, They don't have Auburn, Alabama. They don't have a trophy game. They used to with West Virginia, but that's gone. They don't have some of these that the big-time traditional college football rivalries, which, oh, by the way, there's something else they don't have. Who's Syracuse football's rival? Boston College? Sure. Pittsburgh? Sure. They don't have a rivalry game. So what you have to do is you have to innovate. You have to get creative. You have to create new traditions. With the 44, it's the best of both worlds. Now, it's not to say, to bring it back to Sean Tucker, who, again, I'm not saying give it to him tomorrow, but he has stoked new conversations about this. This is a good thing. This is a way to connect to your past. Some of these people that I heard from on Twitter today just clutching their pearls. How dare you even insist that somebody could stain the legacy of the 44? Well, again, my answer to that is, one, look at the list. I got the list. I could tell you some of the names on there. What about them? There was a period of about eight years nobody even wore it. They didn't even give it out. Okay, no offense to the great Michael Owens, who's got one of the great moments In Syracuse football history, the two-point conversion against West Virginia didn't live up to it. Terry Richardson didn't live up to it. Mandel Robinson didn't live up. Glenn Moore. Like, who are these people? 
You can't give it to somebody other than a running back. Well, guess what? They have 10 people who aren't running backs. You know that tackles, guards, wide receivers, 444? So before you tell me what can't happen, maybe you should look to see if it did. And the second point there is, yes, I agree you don't want the legacy to be stained. That's why you wait. That's why somebody earns it. That's why it becomes something that a small panel of people that are invested in it, namely those who wore it, and we lost Floyd, unfortunately, but Floyd Little was adamant, was passionate. I have had conversations with Floyd Little about this in this very studio, that it should be alive, it should be on the field, but it should be earned by a player. Now, he had running back specifically in mind because he's Floyd Little, and he was a running back, and he understood what that meant to inherit that number and, and then later pass it on. But it's 2021, and other players on the field can wear it. And if you can't accept that and you don't think that's a good idea, I respect your opinion, but don't yell at me and tell me it can't happen. Because that's how you stall progress. That's how the world moves past you. And then you look around, and you're like, where did everybody go? And when did Syracuse football get in a position where they can say no to a lot of stuff? They can just go, no, we, we will not be doing that. Really? Don't you think in the NL in the NIL era, Syracuse should have every tactical advantage in its back pocket that it should have? And you don't think a kid that wears forty four might make a few bucks in the name, image, and likeness era? You're saying we shouldn't do that. All I hear from Syracuse fans, and I understand this is only one player that can wear it, so you know there's there's a there's a little bit of. I'm right, you're right in in this discussion. But all I keep hearing from Syracuse fans is recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. They can't recruit and all these things they can't do. Well, here's something that can help you do it. But not as a recruiting tool in the sense of, you. well, what do I get with the 44? You Well, you get a legacy. Uh-huh. You get the pressure of wearing the number and having to live up to the legacy of Jim Brown, Floyd Little, Ernie Davis. Uh-huh. As opposed to, well, if you come here and show us what you can do and you earn the number, um, we sell quite a few 44 jerseys around here, and if we can put your name on it and you can benefit from that, then, yeah, name, image, and likeness, kid. Well, now you got my attention. So I think Syracuse, and this is specific to the 44 discussion, but they're in a position here where they've got to create their own traditions. They've got to try new stuff. In this case, they have a huge foundation of not only history, but just brand recognition. The 44 is Syracuse football. It's what it has, but it's also stalled. It's just a a number. It's just something that surrounds you. It's an aura. It's like the force. But if you don't know how to use the force, it's useless. So you have to put it into use in the best way in the here and now. And that's why I'm in favor of, of not restoring it, I am in favor of, how can I put this, rebooting it maybe, reimagining the 44, would that be so bad? Really think about it, like, what, what's your main objection to a linebacker or a wide receiver or another position player wearing the 44 who's earned it, not handed out in recruiting, once upon a time, there was a recruit that Syracuse was going after, and you you were screaming bloody murder 
to just give this kid the number. And I could not have disagreed with that more. And I turned out to be right about that. one. This is a new take on it. This is a new spin on it. This is a way to protect the legacy for those of you that want to protect the legacy, but also kind of kick it into gear modern times here and give Syracuse just yet another advantage. So whatever your objections are, I would just ask you to think about that much more. Like, why am I so opposed to this? And if your answer is something like tradition, come up with a better answer. And on that note, we will break. We will return. We will discuss a little bit more on the modern times of Syracuse football in terms of like this week, Syracuse and Liberty. And that matchup coming up, Tommy DeVito scheduled to join us. Bottom of the hour, David Hale, Chris Trapasso throughout the program. Your feedback throughout the show at 437-7644 in the chat at QSportsTalk.com as well. See how the markets did on this Wednesday. Uh, Bill is here to give us the news there. Uh, Bill, it's been an interesting week on the market for sure. Uh, Did that trend continue on this Wednesday? It did not. I get the update. We uh, rallied 1% or 338 points in the Dow after the Fed left rates unchanged. Uh, A lot of reopening stocks did very well, like energy and the banks. Uh, General Mills was our diamond, uh, up 3%. Uh, Cereal sales were actually down, but uh, pet food uh, and pet-related sales were up. So that's what we were doing during the pandemic. And then an interesting dog, uh, FedEx. They're seeing uh, higher costs and labor issues and more global supply issues. There's a record over 50 uh, cargo ships sitting off the coast of California waiting to dock. So we got some issues getting some stuff into the country right now. Bill, thanks for the update as always, my friend. That is where you go for all the latest on the market. Our friends at Lee Baldwin and Company, you can sit down with them, make sure you have all the diamonds and none of the dogs on your portfolio. They're in Kaz or Utica. Check it all out at LeeBaldwin.com. You're on the block ESPN Radio, QSportsTalk.com, also presented by Wildcat Pizza Pub back after this. Tommy, how are you, my friend? Good, how are you? Sorry about that. Had a little technical issue here, but uh, we got the good old telephone, so we could do it that way. Um, So, I was uh, starting to ask you there, Friday Night Lights. You like playing on Friday night? You got the crowd back in there? Kind of reminds you of those high school days? What do you think of uh, playing a Friday night game coming up here? Yeah, I mean, it's different. You know, Yeah, like you said, it kind of brings me back to the high school days, which is fun, it's cool, it's different. Um you know, I'm I'm just looking forward to it. I can't wait. You know, just having the fans back in the dome last week was, you know, fun. So to be able to have them back again, especially on a Friday night, it's going to be even more special. So uh, final thoughts from the Albany game. You guys come in, put up 62 points, get some offense flowing. Uh, you had the big 73-yard touchdown to Damian Alford. How are you feeling as a team offensively after that one? Always nice to kind of cleanse the palate, put up a lot of points and and come out of a game like that to feel like everything's turning again. Right, exactly. Just like you said, I mean, just to get the flow of things back going, you know, um, offensively, you know, we didn't, we have not put up the numbers that we wanted to in the first two games. So they would go out and kind of just, you know, give some inspiration to the team and to the offense, you know, just showing that when we, when we're on point, we're on point. And I mean, even with that being said, I still don't think it was a clean game. I mean, we had a crazy amount of penalties, which, that can't. That will not fly against any Power Five team. You know, going into any games, you can't have that many penalties. So that's something we worked on all week. Something that we're going to clean up and correct, and 
move forward coming this Friday. How have you addressed that, Tommy? I talked to Coach a little bit about it, and he says the one thing you can kind of get after now or maybe cutting out some of the mental mistakes. There's going to be physical penalties. There's going to be pass interference and things of that nature. That's just football. But how do you feel the team has addressed maybe cutting out some of the mental mistakes and how that could cut back on some of these penalties? Right. I mean, not just just not hurting the team. You know what I mean? Like, if we're in a second or third down, you, you don't want to have a penalty, especially this mental. Personally, I would rather it be a physical thing than a mental thing because physically, I mean, stuff you know, stuff happens. Call can be right. A call can be wrong. You know, it happens. But, I mean, as far as the mental thing, you know, as far as, like, jumping off sides, I mean, we can't have anything like that. We're just shooting ourselves in the foot and putting ourselves in a deeper hole than we have to be in. Tommy, going back to how things were flowing offensively in that game, you find out beforehand, and you probably knew a little bit before we did, but you, you, what you did know is that Taj Harris was not going to be available. So you kind of take a step back. Okay, what other options do I have here? I think you wanted to distribute the ball one way or the other. But when you lose a top target like that, what's the adjustment like for you when you find out and you say, okay, this is what the plan's going to be now? Right, I mean, yeah, it's definitely an adjustment, but – um. I don't think it's anything as too crazy as what you might think it might be because that gives the other guys a chance to flourish. I mean, if you think back to last year, obviously it's a different situation, but having Abdul and Jardian opt out and, you know, having a small room of running backs, we would have never potentially seen Sean Tucker if that those guys didn't opt out. You know what I mean? Like guys that have been starters in the past are going to come back and he's not going to get the same amount of reps that he was. So to be able to have – I mean, the opportunity for younger guys to step up because if Taz was in the game, you might not have seen as much as Damian Alfred. That might have been Taz on the 73-yard touchdown. You know what I mean? So to be able to have other guys step up and be able to play and get their feet wet and you know start to feel comfortable in the games, I think that helped offensively a lot. So as Coach was going through this and saying, you know, we got to come out of this game with a quarterback, it feels like that's settled in some way. How did you kind of feel through that? For the performances going into this game, do you feel settled in? Do you feel like, okay, look, we know we got two quarterbacks that can play, but I feel like this is kind of my team and my offense now? How, how do you look at it? Oh, 100%. I mean, I feel like I've, you know, I knew going into last game that I was only going to play a little bit. Um, wasn't sure exactly how many snaps I was going to roll. I knew I was playing the first quarter. I knew prior he was going to roll the second, and then at halftime, you know, coach shut me down, told me I'm done for the game. They're going to let the guys roll, and then hopefully they'll get the younger guys, some reps at the end. Um, so, I mean, I feel good about it. I feel good about things I've done. Obviously, always some things that need to be cleaned up and worked on offensively. And I think this week of practice is beneficial for us. It's certainly beneficial when you have Sean Tucker going out there and he's scoring five touchdowns and running over people, around people, through him. And a lot of those runs, he was barely touched. I mean, what a player he is becoming here. And not just the opening game. This has just been consistent even last year with some issues with the offensive line. He takes a step forward this year. It's got to make your life a little easier, Tommy, when you got a running back like that who's out there dominating. How, how have you seen uh, Sean's rise here and what he does for the Syracuse offense? Oh, 100%. It helps out the offense, you know, in a whole. I mean, cause like I've, I mean, I've said it since I was a little kid, the offense and the pass game and the run game have to be married together because if you're pass-heavy, then they're going to stack the box. You have to run the ball and vice versa. So for Sean and his versatility that he brings to the offense, whether it's catching the ball like he had over 100 receiving yards, whether it's running the ball when he had over 100 yards, you know, rushing, you know what I mean? Like that, that brings a different dynamic to the offense. And you know, I think it helps give the offensive line a lot of confidence as well because the way that they were blocking and letting him get up to that second level, you know, like you said before, he was untouched a little bit of it. Obviously, most of it was his doing, but I mean, 
part of it was the offensive line getting him up to those levels and putting him in those situations where he doesn't have to be touched and just let him be able to run. So I think it was a confidence booster across the board, and I'm um, looking forward to it coming into ACC play. Tommy DeVito is our guest here, Syracuse quarterback, as they get ready to take on Liberty Friday night at the Carrier Dome. Uh, when Sean is running the way he is, and people start thinking about, hey, a running back starting to be pretty consistently dominant again, the 44 discussion comes up, Tommy, but... I don't want to know about the 44 from you. I want to know about the 13 from you. When we talk about numbers and what they mean to players, uh, why why 13? I don't think I've, we've ever discussed this. How come you embrace that, and is that a number you've always cherished, or is it just like somebody handed it to you one day and you always worn it? Why why 13 for you? Well, I mean, it goes back to high school. Um, you know, when I was a freshman in high school, you know, you're always the last to pick your numbers. Obviously, go seniors, juniors, sophomores, freshmen, so... My number has always been seven growing up, um, and we had a senior quarterback at the time that took seven, so that was kind of out of it. So I was, I was either picking 11, 12, or 13. And I've worn 12 once when I was younger, just on some team, and then it was kind of 11 or 13, and I rolled with 13. And after the fact, I mean, I don't want to say it was because of Dan Marino, but I mean, it just happens to be a coincidence. <laughs> I mean, kind of roll with it and the fact that, you know, it's a lot of people's unlucky number. So I make it my lucky number. I like to be different and stuck. There you go. So Liberty's coming in Friday, and, and I'm always uh, – I always find it funny, Tommy. I don't know if you do too, like uh, when you see promos for football games and it's like uh, – you just brought up Dan Marino. Dan Marino and the Dolphins take on Jim Kelly and the Buffalo Bills. You know, the Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning. It's like, well, it doesn't really work that way, right, because you're facing a defense. But when you've got another quarterback on the other side of the field, he's getting a Malik Willis, people are saying could be the top pick in the draft in the upcoming year. So how do you look at it from a quarterback perspective? You're not facing him per se, but how does that get your juices flowing in, in terms of wanting to match a, the performance of a quarterback on the other side? Right. I mean, like you say, you don't necessarily go against each other, but you do in the sense of as a team, you know, you're the leader of the team. You have to make sure that the offense is clicking and firing on all cylinders. I mean, for him, he wants to make sure that Liberty's offense scores as much as possible so that way, their defense doesn't have to worry about it, and that's the same thing for me. I want to make sure that our offense scores as many points as possible and tries to help out the defense as much as possible. I mean, that's kind of where the competition gets into it, and then obviously in the end is who wins and who loses. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. There's going to be a lot of people there, so I'm ready for it. Now, that being said, as you guys have gone through the week and you watch a player like that on film, what's been the reaction seeing some of the things that that he can do? I mean, me personally, I don't watch – him because I watch defense. So I mean I don't I don't know exactly everything that goes on over there, but I mean just knowing about him, I mean he's a big, tall ass. Like he's an athletic dude. He can run, he can throw, make plays all over the field and you know our defense has been doing a good job all week game planning against that and they're gonna be ready for it. What are you seeing when you look at Liberty? What pops and uh, as you said you gotta get the offense flowing and, and going here without giving away game plan specifics, uh what do you see from Liberty, and, and how will you be successful against them? Just, I mean, the basic answer, just doing everything in the finest detail. For me, it's going to be seeing and identifying coverages and making the right reason, right decisions, and then at the end of the day, it's just going to be executing, making sure that every route is at the correct, the correct depth, making sure every blitz is picked up in the right gaps, and everybody knows who they're responsible for. And you know, Offensively, just getting the first first down. Once we get our first first down, then the tempo starts rolling, and 
that's when defenses have a hard time with us. But, you know, once we get that first first down, we'll be good. All right, Tommy. Uh, I always like to bring up uh, some Jersey things when we can here. So uh, are you a big Sopranos guy, having grown up in Jersey? <laughs> What's the deal with that? Yes, I am. Okay, so am. the reason I wanted to bring this up is I saw – have you seen the preview for The Many Saints of Newark, the, the Sopranos movie that's coming out? I've seen a small clip of it. I did okay. not watch the whole thing. Okay. And fair warning, I read – I don't like to read reviews and spoil things, but I, I just happened to fall into a review today, and I was warned by this review that this is not – it's being sold as, like, young Tony Soprano, right? And his son plays him in this movie, but that's – what I was warned today is, is that's not the movie. The movie is actually Christopher Maltesanti's father, and that's what they focus on, and young Tony is in it. But he's not the focus of it. So I want every all the Sopranos fans out there to be aware. Like if you go into this, don't think it's the young Tony Soprano story. So just want everybody to know that. So everybody's good, good with that. <laughs> no doubt. I'm gonna have to go watch the whole trailer after yeah. this. One of my, one yeah, of my boys had to me the other day, and I didn't get a chance to watch it yet. It looks good. Don't get me. I'm gonna see it. And I'm gonna. I, and I believe there's a series that's gonna come off of that. But just just want to give fair warning to fellow Sopranos fans out there. Okay. Just so yes, sir. All right. Very good. Tommy, good luck Friday. Always great to catch up. We'll I'll talk to you again next week, but uh, always appreciate your time, my friend. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate you. Okay, Tommy, be good. That's Tommy DeVito, folks. He joins us usually on Thursdays, but Wednesday this week is a little earlier in the game plan, of course, as Syracuse plays Friday night at the Carrier Dome against Liberty. 8 o'clock, we have full pregame coverage throughout the day, postgame coverage to follow both on the radio and Q Sports Talk. Com. And Tommy DeVito joins us thanks to Holbrook Heating and Air Conditioning. We're going to break on that note, come back around the block, ESPN Radio and QSportsTalk.com.